This morning's reading will be from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 30. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter began to explain to them step by step. I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, the sky, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. <clears throat> and at that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me. And when we went into the man's house, he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in the house and saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as it did on us in the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? And when they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of God. And he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. And they did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. So that's, uh, that's Tracy Wiggins. That's, he's married to Dee, so he needs prayer. <laughs> no, but, but he is another, he's another country boy that's been to Bible college, so 
Good to have him do the reading this morning. Before you sit down, let's pray a little bit. Give you an opportunity to pray. Make sure your heart is soft and ready to hear what God has for you this morning. So just pray with me. Don't listen to me pray. You pray also. Father, we thank you. What a blessing it is to come together to worship you. God, I thank you for the worship team, them leading us in worship this morning. And God, we pray that we will continue to worship you now as we open your word. Soften my heart, Lord. Open my spiritual eyes and ears. Help me to see and hear what you want me to see and hear. Holy Spirit, I pray that you rebuke me where I need to be rebuked. Comfort me where I need to be comforted. Encourage me where I need encouragement. Have your way in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to Acts chapter 11, the whole chapter this morning, and the title is When Our Traditions Collide with God's Will. And it's surprising to me as I started to learn more and more about the Bible how much of what we do in here, like on Sunday morning, is tradition. And I want to say this to start off with, not all tradition is bad, okay? But a lot of what we do, you can't really find in the Bible it's just tradition we do. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible that we are instructed to sing songs in church and then have a sermon. Matter of fact, there isn't anywhere we're instructed to sing songs, period, and there isn't anywhere we're instructed to have a sermon in the Bible. Now, did they sing when they had church and did they have sermons? Absolutely. But my point is, is that we were never instructed to do that. Can you have church without songs, without a sermon? The church is the assembly of of Christians together, when we assemble together, that is us having ecclesia from what the Bible says. That is us experiencing church, the one another is all in the Bible. So there's all different ways that we can have church, but we as a tradition, and I like the tradition, having worship songs, prayer, Bible reading, and sermons. I like it. I don't think it's dishonor to God in any way. And, and here's another thing is that when I started learning more about the Bible, I realized that there's a lot of phrases that we say it's been coined as Christianese, a lot of phrases we say that we use that are not in the Bible. That's a, I mean, that phrase right there, I have said that a gazillion times. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You will never find that phrase in the Bible. Let me show you. There's one problem with this. Men, Lord and Savior, that's great, that's true. The one problem we have is with this. You don't make him, he already is. We don't make him Lord and Savior, he is Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, I mean, here's Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, not if you make, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you'll never see anywhere in the Bible where it says, invite Jesus into your heart. Never will you see that phrase, ask Jesus into your heart. There's nowhere in the Bible. Here's what Jesus said. For Jesus is preaching, then on, from then on, Jesus began to preach. He didn't say, invite me into your heart, ask me into your heart. Here's what he says, repent. That's his first word. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now here's, here's the, the, see, the problem with inviting that phrase of inviting Jesus into my heart or inviting God into my heart is my heart's a very little thing. 
and to say that this huge God's going to come fit into my little bitty heart. So there's, that's kind of the first kind of start problem with that. But, but, but really the, the problem that I have with that more than anything else is that it's not about him, me inviting him. It's about him inviting me. It's about me making the move to him, not him moving to me. See, and here's the thing is that, and said, clothe yourself. So I clothe myself with these clothes. I mean, I, you say, man, you put on those clothes. You're in those clothes? Yes, I'm in these clothes. So you clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. I didn't drop the mic on that one. <laughs> that was a mic. Man, I say this all the time. In, I may have said it just then, I don't know. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're to pray in Jesus' name. But you'll never see any prayer in the Bible where they end it and they say, in Jesus' name, amen. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's a tradition we use, we say, but we're not instructed to do that. And there's nowhere in the Bible you'll find the sinner's prayer. But some of y'all right now, you're like, oh, I was with you till then. I'm not going any further with you now. Because I said the sinner's prayer. That's when I got saved. Okay, so I said the sinner's prayer too. I have led, no doubt, I don't mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. There has to be hundreds of people I've led in the sinner's prayer. Nowhere will you find the sinner's prayer. Nowhere will you find when someone experienced conversion in the Bible. You watch this as we go through Acts. Nowhere do they stop and say, okay, repeat after me and say this prayer. Okay? This, that doesn't happen. Now, see, now, I said the sinner's prayer when I was 11 years old. I started driving my, my mother crazy. I mean, I want to get saved. I want to get saved. That's all I knew. I want to get saved. And she was like, she kept putting me off because she wanted to make sure that I was serious. This wasn't some emotional driven, driven thing that I was going through. And so she waited two weeks. I mean, like, I want to tell you something. As a kid and still as an adult, I can wart you to death. I can just wear you out. I mean, that's God, God made me that way. So, listen, it's so I'll come in here and keep saying the same thing to y'all over and over again. I see now why God made me this way. I warded her to death until she, finally she got the preacher to come to our house. He came to the house. He came in my room and took out my Bible and went through the Roman road and started marking in my Bible that had never been marked in before. And then he said, we knelt down by my bed, and he said, okay, David, now repeat after me and say this prayer. And so I repeat after him, and I said the prayer, 11 years old. And here's what I'll tell you. If I would have died within those two weeks before my preacher made it there, I would have went to heaven. I was saved before he ever got there. That prayer did not save me. He marked in the Bible a date. He said, this is it. This is when you said, this is when you're saved. I lost the Bible probably providentially of God. Listen, I want to tell you something. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to say a prayer before you're saved. You're saved by grace through faith. It is the initial work of the Holy Spirit that comes and starts stirring our hearts and wooing us and drawing us to God. I was being drawn to God. The prayer didn't save me. Listen, even after that, I mean, I had a, thank God, somewhere along the line, I got enough sense along the way that when I would lead people in the sinner's prayer, I would give them to say the prayer, and I'd say, okay, listen, that prayer did not save you. You're saved by faith. So here we are. Let's go to our text this morning, because we're going to see when our traditions collide with God's will, what happens. So, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. 
When Peter went up to Jerusalem, so he comes back to, he comes back to church headquarters, Christian church headquarters, the circumcision party. So these Jewish believers in Christ, they criticized him. Have you ever joined God in what he was doing and as a result had other Christians criticize you? You ever got all fired up about what God's doing? You get to join God in that, and then some other Christians come along, the bucket brigade come along and just throw, throw cold water on your fire? Well, if you've ever joined God in what he's doing, then you're shaking your head, yes. Because it, it is inevitable. It's like the, the, the world outside is not the problem. It's the people inside the church that gets to us. And here we've got people that just, I mean, they haven't been saved but just a few years at the most. And, and Peter comes back and they're like, they're criticizing. A major movement of God. Now, if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, go back, listen to the sermons the last few weeks, and you'll see. Because I don't want to review that over again. But, man, this was a mighty movement of God. And that Peter just reluctantly went and God did all this stuff. And now Peter's coming back and said, this is what God's done. And they criticize him saying, Notice this. It isn't about them getting saved. You see that? What's it about? You went to uncircumcised men? Didn't say, and you shared the gospel with them? No, that's not the big deal. You broke our tradition. You sat down and ate with them. What on God's green earth are you thinking? I mean, no mention of people getting saved here. Y'all see that? Y'all see the problem in this? Is that whenever our traditions and our man-made traditions and our man-made rules, when they start to trump over the movement of God and God's word, then we got a problem now. You see what I'm saying? We got a serious problem happening now. So they were more concerned about their traditions being broken than men being saved, the gospel being spread. spread. Look at this. And here's the thing is that we're going to jump, jump, we're going to jump out for just a moment. Peter's fixed to explain to them what God has done. He does real good here. But Peter stumbles just like all of us, okay? And so at Antioch later on, well, we're going to go to Antioch in just a moment here in Acts chapter 11. Tracy read that for us a while ago. But in time, what happens is, is that Peter has problems with eating with the Gentiles. Look at this. It says, when Peter came to Antioch, so this is Paul's writing this. He said, when he came to Antioch, this is We'll get to this like in chapter 15. I had to oppose him to his face. Once again, proof he was not the first pope. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers. So when he first got to Antioch, Peter's sitting down eating with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James, that's the half-brother of Jesus, one of the elders of the church of Jerusalem, came Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people. Oh, do you see the old Peter keep rolling back up? See, some of you, you're so, you get aggravated because that old flesh nature keeps welling back up and getting to you, and you think, oh, I'm a sorry Christian, I'm a terrible Christian. Maybe I'm not saved. That's not the issue. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, then you're saved. If you're in Christ, listen, you in spiritual warfare, okay? And the world, the flesh, the devil is out to get you every single day, gets you discouraged. And he was afraid of the, 
of, of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision because that, that's what we've always done. That is our tradition. That identifies us. That identifies us as acceptable from God. You can't cut that out. As a result, other Jewish believers follow Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, oh, they're going to just leave them alone. They're not hurting anybody. Oh, yes, they are. You know, I mean, listen, when we got hypocrisy rolling, I mean, we think, you know, we're like, oh, just that, that, no, no. It leads other people into hypocrisy. I want to tell you something. Listen, guys, I mean, I try so hard to try to, hold this all down and not get up here and just thrash other preachers and other churches and stuff like that. Because I think, okay, that's, that's true. Deal. But here's what you understand. When you got these, I hate to use the word famous, but these celebrity preachers that are preaching self-helps, prosperity gospel, they're leading a lot of people into their hypocrisy. Barnabas, I mean, listen, he's one of my favorite dudes in the Bible. I mean, if he's like, hey, Dave, you can go hang out with any of these guys in Acts, I'm like, okay, I need Barnabas. That's who, uh, let me go hang out with him. Okay? Even he, even, that's what Paul says, even Barnabas was led astray. So listen. I know we don't like negativity and stuff like that. Some of you don't. You don't like to hear you know, people tear down other preachers and other churches and stuff like that, but you have to understand something. When there's hypocrisy happening, there's the danger that it could be leading other people into hypocrisy as well. It needs to be exposed, okay? So back to our story. Peter began to explain to them step by step. He's looking for clarity. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. That's not in the Bible, by the way. But it's a good principle, so he's making sure that everybody, he's just wanting clarity to understand. And he goes on, he tells the story. Now listen, I'm not going to try. I'm going to try not to dive into this because this is the third time the story's been told. Three men came to Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored him three times. Do you see the pattern? God's in control. So right now, your life may be unraveling. Things may be going in the wrong direction according to you. But let me tell you something. God is sovereign. God is working. God has got a plan. Don't give up on him. He's good. He's a good father. He knows where you're at. He hears your prayers. He's working. So I was in the town of Joppa praying, so he's going to make sure these guys know this was not something I just decided to do on my own. This was initiated by the Holy Spirit. And I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and I considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call impure. Now, this happened three times. I was at three, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. At the very moment, three men who had been sent, there's the three again, from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also, so he's got six Christians that went with him, pointing to them right now, no doubt. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, 
Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. That does not mean that whenever you, a parent, is saved, that your children are automatically saved. What this means is, is that the Holy Spirit that's drawing and wooing Cornelius is drawing and wooing his children as well. It's always a work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God's div- salvation is God's divine work. So he's drawing the whole family right here, okay? Doesn't always mean that all the families are, but we see this over and over in the Bible. The whole household gets saved. The whole household gets saved. As I began to speak, I love this. He didn't finish the sermon. No. He didn't give an invitation. No one said a prayer. No one even said, I accept this. But listen, they're all listening in faith. When Peter comes to the message, they're listening to the message with faith. When he gets to the, he gets the gospel points laid out there, Holy Spirit comes rushing in. He said, man, I just got started on the sermon, and the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. He's referring to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost there. Same thing happened to them. Happened. You can't deny that these Gentiles are now saved. They see, they hear that the proof is right there. They're speaking in tongues just like we did in Acts chapter 2. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See the emphasis right here? So at the point of salvation, now, at the point of salvation, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, please don't misunderstand that and think that you have to speak in tongues you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because let me just remind you of what we talked about last week. Apostle Paul, when he was saved in the road to Damascus, did not speak in tongues. The um, Ethiopian eunuch, when he was saved, did not speak in tongues. These groups like this, it's proof they're seeing this. It's a proof, a testimony to the other Jewish believers that these Gentiles are saved. If then God gave them the same gift, look at this, look at salvation. Here's our, it's a very important. God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. How could I possibly hinder God? And you can't. You can't, Peter, and neither can we. No one can hinder God. When they heard this, here's a great sign right here. They became silent. Because if you remember, whenever Stephen was executed by the religious leaders, when they heard the story, they gnashed their teeth, they screamed, they yelled, and they attacked him. But see, here's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in these men's lives because whenever they heard the message, they became silent. They're seeking to understand. And there's another sign right here. They glorified God. You can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit working inside of you, saying, so then, God has given repentance? God, he gave I mean, I can't have repentance without God giving it to me, resulting in life, even in the Gentile, resulting in salvation. So repentance is a gift from God. 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to knowledge of the truth. Yes, repentance is a gift from God. So some of you, you are struggling with sin, and that sin keeps coming back over and over again. And here's what I would say right here is I would say this, is that you need to ask God, be praying, not only for forgiveness, but also be praying that God would grant you repentance from that sin. 
Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews because they believed you had to become Jewish first, get circumcised, do all the traditions, and then after that, you can accept the gospel and be saved. But before you do that, you can't. That's what they were thinking. Because they had, because these traditions been passed down century after. I mean, all their fathers, grandfathers, all that, all done this. You have problems with change? Yeah, I do too. The change is tough, you know. I mean, I was thinking about that whole, how we sing our songs and then we have the sermon. So, you know, why do we do that? Well, the songs and the prayers help me get focused and ready to hear the word. Went to a church one time. Village Church in Dallas, Melissa and I went to go visit it one time, and they had the sermon before the songs, and it messed us all up. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but some of the people left after the sermon when they started singing the song. Some of the people leave. They're like, okay, I mean, because we like things to always be the same, especially when it comes to our religion. Don't mess with that. Man, hey, listen, has there been a controversy between hymns and praise songs? Oh, my goodness. You know, and it's about the time that you think that one controversy calms down, another one gets stirred up. Now it's, you know, I don't even want to get into that. Anyway, <laughs> if you have never led worship in a church before, give grace to the worship leaders. Because here's the thing. They cannot please everybody. It's like they please very few. And here's the thing, too, is that some of y'all, Come after the sermon, you're like, man, that was a good sermon. But there was a song service before the sermon. We don't forgot about that. Go and encourage the worship leaders. You know, do that today before you leave out of here. Go thank them. Because I'll tell you something, they get to quite the opposite, you know, many times. Can y'all see that? Maybe you need it. Maybe not. That's kind of small, even on those screens. Okay, so I'll just point. You can pretend like you see it. Here's Jerusalem. We're about to talk about Antioch right here. Antioch is, this is a, a Roman providence, Roman town. It's like Las Vegas. This is the Roman Las Vegas. This is the, the, the gateway to the east and west of Rome. All kinds of people come together in this town. I mean, it's like what happens in Antioch stays in Antioch. It is a rough place. This is Tarsus up here. This is where Paul is. So just kind of get, this is Phoenicia, Tyre, Sidon, all that. So these names we'll be reading. You understand something. This is long ways away from the church in Jerusalem. This is the headquarters, the beginning of the Christian church. But, this is a big but in the Bible, by the way. This is one of, this is a huge verse that we don't study very much because it doesn't make sense unless you go in verse by verse. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, so that's in the Phoenician providence, who came to Antioch. I mean, anytime you said it back then, I'm like, okay, so like, man, we got to tell you something about this. I mean, like, there's this big movement of Christianity. When they came to Las Vegas, we'd be like, what? And that's what they're like, Antioch? That's like the worst place ever. You know, you're talking about Christian good stuff. I mean, that doesn't happen in Antioch. So, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the, the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is a turning point in the Bible. Now, 
people are going to the Gentiles and preaching the gospel to them. Now, maybe this doesn't mean anything to you. Maybe I hope someday it does. So if this, you're thinking, why is he telling us this? This doesn't really matter to me. It may someday. Here's what you have to understand about this. The turning point is this. Everybody to this point was, came from what's called a Hebraic worldview, Hebrew. They understood the Old Testament. They understood the whole counsel of God would say. These Greeks, they knew nothing about the Old Testament. So today, you're sitting in a church that is predominantly has a, what's called a Greco-Roman worldview of Christianity. A Hebraic worldview, like if you went to a Messianic Jewish church, by the way, they don't call themselves Christians. Talk about that in a moment. Messianic Jews is a reason why they don't call themselves Christians. If you went to them, you would go from a Hebraic worldview. Two totally different things. If you don't understand what that is, then I would encourage you to go research it because when you get into the Hebraic worldview, it makes a lot of, Jesus was Hebrew, right? He taught in idioms. And they're all Hebraic worldview. And for us in Greco-Roman, we're like, what does that mean? The first will be last, the last will be first. What does it mean that, you know, he starts talking about this, your right eyes, your bad eye, pluck it out, your good eye and all that. What does all that mean? Well, from a Hebraic worldview, it all made perfect sense to them. To us, Greco-Roman worldview, we try to make it into something that isn't what we do. The Lord's hand was with them. Well, I've never seen that before. What does that mean? I didn't know God even had a hand. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. What does it mean when the Lord's hand is with you? So sometimes we pray, we say, God, go with us. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer, by the way. Because that's a prayer in the Bible, too. Moses said, unless you go with us, we don't go. We don't move unless you go with us, Lord. So what does it, what does it mean to have the Lord's hand? And by the way, this is the power the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is God's hand, He empowering it. And if God doesn't empower it, then nothing of spiritual value ever happens, by the way. So, from, so Luke is writing this. He talks about the, the hand of the Lord being with him. So usually you can trace this back on the Hebraic worldview into the Old Testament. And there's something there in the Old Testament that, that informs them of what this means. So here it is. It's out of godly Ezra. He, since the gracious hand of God was on him, on Ezra. You're going to read this, man. It's, Protected him, God protects Ezra. I mean, Ezra's got all this interesting stuff happening. And here's what it says about Ezra. It says that now Ezra determined purpose in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Do you see where Ezra was? Ezra was all about teaching, obeying, studying the word of God. God's hand was with him. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem. The news is... We've got people preaching to Gentiles the gospel. And they sent the best person, Barnabas, to travel as far as Las Vegas of their day, as far as Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God. What does that mean? When he got to Antioch, if Barnabas had ever been there before, he'd never seen what he saw when he got there. He saw conversion, life transformation. People that were into the worst kind of stuff are out of the worst kind of stuff. They've been transformed and changed. When he saw the grace of God, you're saved by grace. He saw salvation. He said, these people, the last people that I would expect, the people in Antioch, they are saved. He saw the grace of God. Let me tell you something. And you know, Barnabas, some of y'all are going to be like, oh, yeah, I know I heard that a million times. Barnabas 
son of encouragement. Let me tell you something. An encourager can see grace before anybody else. That's been my experience. It's just that way. They're looking for it. They see it. They're sensitive about it. And that's Barnabas. When he comes in there, he sees the grace of God. And he was glad. And he encouraged them. There's a shock. He encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with, a, with devoted hearts. Because that's what you need. You need to be, listen. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be praying. And you need to be devoted to the right things. You don't have a problem being devoted to things, by the way. You know that? We're all devoted to something. It's just being devoted to the right things. And usually being devoted to the right things is hard. And being devoted to the easy thing and then the bad things is easy. It takes self-discipline. That's why it's called disciple, discipleship, discipline, to be devoted to the right things, the good things. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to. Man, the church is exploded. It's growing. I mean, man, people are experiencing conversion. It is a major, major thing. And then here's my favorite verse. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. Paul. Do you remember the last time we saw him in Acts, I believe it was chapter 9? He came back to the church at Jerusalem, and the religious leaders, which Paul is an up-and-coming religious leader, I mean, he was on his way to being, you know I mean, like the top-notch religious leader. He was like a seminary professor in their culture. And remember when they found out about him, they tried to kill him in Jerusalem. The religious leaders, not the Christians, the religious leaders. Are you with me now? The, the Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill him. So they lowered him down in a bucket. And they took him and they said, you got to go back to your hometown, which is Tarsus, for 10 years. And there's nothing but silence as far as Paul is concerned. 10 years. Wait, can you think about 10 years for a moment? How old were you 10 years ago? Have you learned anything in the last 10 years? Do you think that Paul learned anything in those 10 years of silence there? So Bible scholars believe when you read in Corinthians, when he says that I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, they believe that that happened during these 10 years, that God was humbling him and preparing him. So listen, i got to tell you all this once again. Man, I know, listen, I told you I can wart you to death on stuff, and I'm going to wart you to death on this one. The most important thing, I'm talking about Tracy going to Bible college and all that kind of, love Bible college, love seminary, think it's essential, very, very important thing. But here's what, here's what the problem is. You take a young man and you take all, so what is the most important thing of being in ministry and being a pastor? The most important thing is learning how to suffer well. It's that simple, that's it. To be able to be crushed and to have all the pride crushed out of you and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be able to stand up and keep walking on when, when you should quit. And so you take a young man and you bypass him around all that and you send him off to, to seminary and you pop him back in here in a church leadership position and he's never suffered. And he's got a certificate stamped and he's learned theology and all those things that are essential in being, a, you know, but he, he knows nothing of suffering. He knows nothing of spiritual warfare. Then we just set him in a place where the devil is going to get him. So what did, what, listen, what did God do with the Apostle Paul? Ten years, crushing, preparing, humbling. 
And he went, can you imagine what this is like, by the way? I could just, I, we may, I don't know if I'm going to go any further than this. This is so good. Can you imagine 10 years you've forgotten Everything you'd worked for, all of that, all of that education and everything, that he, it's gone. Now. He's back making tents. Everything he'd worked for, all of his dreams are gone. He's making tents, just surviving. He's in survival mode. Some of you know what that means. What all you can do is you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other, and you're just trying to live. Hey, man, listen. Some dude in town looking for you. I think his name's like Barnabas or something like that. Do you remember Barnabas is the one that introduced him to the church at Jerusalem and said, this dude's all right? Can you imagine what Saul of Tarsus thought when he heard that? What's he want with me? Barnabas comes up and says, dude, Antioch is exploding. People are, Gentiles are getting saved left and right. You you know everything about the Hebraic worldview, but you yourself are a Roman citizen. You're the man. Can you imagine? Listen, in my estimation, the Apostle Paul is the greatest Christian who ever lived. <laughs> Ten years, he's out there surviving. Are you kidding me? Doing nothing? I mean, we'd all be like, man, that's a terrible waste. No, it was not a terrible waste. It was God preparing him. It was him suffering, getting prepared. No, you, you think I'm just reading between the lines? I think, I'm just, you th- I think I, you think I might have just stepped away from the Bible right there? Well, let's go back, Acts chapter 9. This is whenever Ananias, whenever he was, whenever the conversion of Paul, and the Lord said to Ananias, go, for this man is my chosen instrument. He's a vessel, a broken vessel to take and my name to the Gentiles, the kings, and the Israelites, and I will show him how he will live his best life now. I will show him how easy it's going to be, man, that he's going to flow in the money. He'll have the biggest church. Everybody will worship him. He will be the celebrity. No, it says how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So I don't think that whenever he had the thorn in the flesh and there was 10 years there and he wasn't doing anything, we would think, I don't think he ever sat there that day and was like, man, I don't understand. This doesn't make a bit of sense. Oh, I believe that he's remembering right here that this is what God has chosen for him. Do you see, church? Listen. Do you see how far we've moved away in our American culture, Christianity, when it's all about living your best life now, when it's all about self-helps and you being the best Christian you can be and you being better and good, great with your finances, happy marriages, kids at mind, everything looks great and sanitary. Do you see how far away from the Bible that is, church? And then whenever everything crumbles and falls apart, we're like, what did I do wrong? Had a man come to me yesterday, my age, sat down in my house, he told me, he said, man, David, listen, I started out full ride scholarship, Texas Tech, got my undergraduate, went back, got my MBA, because I thought higher education, the more money I make, got a great job, got married, had children, had a job where he traveled the world, had all of his dreams fulfilled, everything was going great, and his wife walked out on him, and all of life come crumbling down. He said the only way that, he said, I never had anxiety, anxiety just welled up inside of me. He said, the only way that I could calm down the anxiety was with whiskey. And he drank himself almost to death. Stayed in the hospital. Did not, we did not think he was going to live. 
Do you know what he asked me? He said, I don't really know how to pray. He said, all I do is mess everything up. And I said, I got good news for you. You're in a better place than you think you are. Because it's when we don't know how that the, inter- the Spirit intercedes for us with words that groan- groanings of words cannot express according to the will of God. He intercepts that. You're broken. You're humble. God draws near to the humble. He goes away from the proud. Good news for you today. But it's a shame he had to get that straw house burnt, that he turned to the liquor, that he had to suffer. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. (laughs) Oh, man, my sanctified imagination sees them coming in there that day, and Barnabas is smiling from ear to ear, and Paul is like, what? This is Antioch, by the way. See, I mean, I know that y'all think Antioch was, is there there Antioch Baptist churches around? We we think Antioch is great. Antioch was not great to them. So I can just see Paul going in there like, what? I don't know about all this. Barnabas smiling, irritated. And for a whole year, it's a long time for them, they met with the church and taught large numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians. Same thing. I used to think that you got a Christian, and then upper level is a disciple. That's what I used to think. It's synonymous. It's the same thing. If you're a Christian, then you're a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Christ. Christians at, called them Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, there's the gift of prophecy, the, gift, I mean, the prophetic gift, and then there's the office of prophet, okay? Don't get those confused. Two different things. There is the Office of a prophet, Old Testament, Old Testament prophets, they would foretell the future. Usually they told everybody how God's about to judge them. I don't, ever, I don't know of any prophets that brought good news. And then you got the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. You can go read it in Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, and it's a gift to edify the church. It's a gift of encouragement. Okay? So this is a prophet who's the office of prophet. He came down to Jerusalem to, from Jerusalem to Antioch. I don't have time to dig into the theological aspect of that because I spent so much time on the fun stuff. So one of them named Agabus, we'll run into him again. Well, he'll give, he gives the prophecy of Paul later on, and he gets the interpretation wrong. We'll get the theology of a prophet then, okay? Maybe. Stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world that took place during the reign of Claudius. And just in case you're wondering, the secular historians talk about this famine during the reign of Claudius. So the Bible is historically accurate. Each of the disciples, not, not the apostles, not the elders, the disciples, the Christians, each of them, according to his own ability, determined to send some relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. That's the church of Jerusalem. This upside church in Antioch, only been there about a year now they're sending back money. They're sending back help, financial help, back to headquarters, Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem. Because they weren't like, oh, you know, we are the Gentile Christians, and they're the Jewish Christians, and this is our church, and that's them. It, it, I mean, you do realize that those Christians that are suffering in Afghanistan are in the same church with you. We're in the body of Christ all the Christians around the world that are being persecuted, we're in the same church essentially because we're all in the body of Christ. You do realize that, right? And 
us over here with our abundance and our comfort, if we don't help them, hmm. They did this, sending it to the elders. They had elder-led churches. Wow, what a great thing. By means of Barnabas and Saul. So, wrapping this up real quick, maybe. I don't know why I keep saying quick and all that. So, here's what we see about, from the book of Acts, about a spirit-filled church. It experiences persecution. They pray together. They're unified. They're generous. And they live and they proclaim the gospel. So, here's what we have to ask ourselves. Bridge Fellowship. Are we doing these things? Now listen, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't know, David, are you doing these things? You're the pastor. Are you and the elders doing this? Are you and the staff doing this? No, no, no. The church, it's you too. So you, if, listen, if you're a member of the Bridge Fellowship, that's us. So I ask us, are we doing this? Are we in maintenance mode or missional mode? Because, and, and once again, I'm not talking about, you know, you looking at me and the elders and thinking, oh, no, y'all are trying to hold things together. No, no, I'm asking us as a church, this includes you, are we just, just trying to keep things moving, doing the things we've always done, just do that and everything's okay? And as long as we've got money in the bank and everything's still intact the way we think it is, is that, that's maintenance mode. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, there's no such thing as maintenance mode. You are like a fish swimming up a river. The time that you start to maintain and you start to relax, the current takes you down. You're swimming against the current. The whole world's under the sway of the evil one. You realize that, right? So you, there's, no, there's no use staying in this spot and just everything being okay. We're all good right here. It's either we are, we are missional, we're, we're kingdom-minded, because this is all about individual. This is about your best life now. This is about the self-help stuff. That like, I just want to be a better Christian. So it's not about me. That's works righteousness. It's about me getting my position in Christ Jesus. When I'm in my position in Christ Jesus and I'm under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, then there's going to be life transformation by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be repenting of my sins. It's going to change my desire. It's going to do that. It's not about me working and being better. Do y'all see that, church? It's about me identifying and working. I'm not going to work on anything. I need to work on making sure I'm in that position. That's prayer. Prayer and Bible study. If I'm not praying, it's not going to happen. If I'm not reading my Bible, I'm not going to know how to pray. Hmm. Y'all look uncomfortable, so stand up. Please. So back on the back table back there where the cross is, with the light, you know, it looks all pretty and everything. There are these, um, see these pieces of paper right here. It's a Freedom Shield Foundation. We have people in our church that have a great relationship with the leadership of Freedom Shield Foundation. Matter of fact, uh, the lady's picture, she grew up here in Martins Mill, Carrie Gurley, and um, they are helping people around the world. They are helping these, these Christians in Afghanistan, 
that are trying to get out. They're, they're, they're providing help to get them out, food, shelter, transportation, all these things. So I know, you know, I'm just telling you, just showing you this. Because if you looked at this and you're like, man, I'm convicted. I want to be missional. I want to help out. I want to do something. Get one of these. Check this out. We can help. We can be a part. We can join God in what he's doing with organizations like that. So let's think about those persecuted Christians right now. Do you think about them? The people today that will not be alive at the end of this day, that are needing help. The ones today that right now they are, ISIS has got a hold of them. They're in a camp and they're brutally beating them. They're starving. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? And here we are, and it's a little bit chilly in the room, or seats are a little bit uncomfortable, and like ready to get out of here. So great is our faithfulness. Yeah, sing that song. Josh talked about that a little bit. Back in the prayer room, just flopped my Bible open, started reading. Read right into it. Didn't even know I was reading it. So here, think about those persecuted Christians right now that are suffering. You think about them right now. You got them in your mind. You got them locked in. Close your eyes if you need to and just think about that and focus. I'm going to read Lamentations 3 a little bit. I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yes, he repeatedly turns his hand against me all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has broken my bones. He has laid siege against me, encircled me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he blocks out my prayer. He has walled in my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He forces me off my way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. So let's take out the music, if we could, please. Let's just drop that music out. Thank you. He strung his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. Listen, this is what Jeremiah is saying. This is what God is doing to him. He pierced my kidneys with shouts from his quiver. I am a laughing stock to all my people, mocked by their songs all day long. He filled me with bitterness, satiated me with wormwood. He ground my teeth with gravel. 
and made me cower in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought, my future is lost, as well as all my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them, and I become depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is still young. Let him sit alone and silent, for God has disciplined him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is still hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace, for the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind, crushing all the prisoners of the land beneath one's feet, denying justice to a man in his presence of the Most High or subverting a person in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve of these things. Uh, so God, we realize today as we think of the suffering believers around the world today, God, we agree with Jeremiah that you do not approve of these things. And God, we pray. We pray for Freedom Shield Foundation and what they're doing and joining you and rescuing them. And God, we pray that you would help us to see how we can join you in what you're doing to rescue these today. So God, we pray for the persecuted church. We pray for those believers today. God, we pray that you would fill their hearts with hope, fill their hearts with faith, fill their hearts and their minds with eternity, oh God. Great is your faithfulness. So I'm wondering if you could say that right now. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, New mercies I see. Is Josh in here? Josh is not in here. Okay, that's fine. You may be seated. <clears throat> 